at the end of this morning's service, we are going to be doing something that we do on a regular basis. So on about a monthly basis, we receive something known as communion or the Lord's Supper or the Lord's, uh, the Lord's Table. And so uh, though it's known by, by a few different names, uh, you might have grown up even in a church that called it the Eucharist or something like that. Uh, but uh, though it's known by uh, several names, it's, it's, the, uh, it's uh, one of the things that we do on a regular basis here at Calvary. It's, uh, some churches call these, uh, these things that, that are done on a regular basis like this ordinances. And one of the two ordinances that we have in, uh, here at Calvary is, is uh, the Lord's table and the second is baptism. And so I don't always, every time that we receive communion, because we do it on a monthly basis, I don't always teach on communion uh, uh, when we receive communion, but today it's been a, it's been a good while since we've kind of uh, given you kind of a just a, an overview, a synopsis of of the of the of communion, of kind of what it is and why we do it and how we receive it. And so uh, we're going to do that today. And you can see that the passage listed in in your notes is from First Corinthians chapter eleven. It's Paul's uh, teaching to the Corinthian believers about communion. And he's, uh, he's going to share with them uh, about uh, the importance of it and how it should be received. And so we're going to read those verses beginning in verse 23 of chapter 11. So if you want to bring that up on your phone, if you want to look at uh, your, uh, the notes or in your own Bible, I'm going to read from verse 23 all the way down to verse 30. So why don't we do that uh, really quick and we'll jump off from there. 1 Corinthians 11:23 from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, Paul says, For I received from the Lord... What I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he all, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would uh, hear these words that Paul shared, uh, inspired by you to give to the Corinthian believers many, many years ago, that we, we would hear them fresh in our hearts. And that would help us, Lord, to maybe... Um, more deeply understand and appreciate and, and really live into this, this special meal. And we pray, God, that, that you would work in our hearts throughout the next few minutes so that as we, in just a little bit, uh, receive communion today, that it would be done uh, in a worshipful, in a repentant, in a, in a really uh, heart, uh, with hearts that are in a worship, worshipful and repentant manner, with hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving for everything that you've done for us in the gift of your son, Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So again, uh, just wanna share with you today uh, kind of a, an overview. Many of you uh, sit here today have, have received communion many times, some of you a few times. 
there could be someone here who might even be receiving it for the first time. So we want to just give you some important aspects of this, of this meal. This meal that we have now in the, in the Christian church that we use as Holy Communion is based off a very ancient meal, a different meal, something known as a Passover Seder that existed and began in ancient Israel many, many years ago, and it has roots in the deliverance of Israel from uh, being enslaved in a different nation known as Egypt. At that time, um, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God raised up a, a deliverer named Moses. And Moses uh, went back into the place where he had been raised and, and announced to the leader of those uh, of Egypt at that time that God was calling him to free his people from them. And throughout the course of, of those events and the drama of that, God inflicted plagues on the people of Egypt. And as he was inflicting those plagues on the people of Egypt, the, the, basically the drama of the event is whose God would be God? Would Pharaoh be God? Because Pharaoh, the leader of the nation of Egypt, was seen as God. Or was it going to be the God of Moses, Yahweh, the, the, the unnamed God, the, the, ones, the one who was the God of the people who believed there was only one God? And so was it going to be God who was God or Pharaoh who was God? And so this drama of the plagues began to play out. And the last of those plagues was a very vicious plague that, uh, that fell upon the nation of Egypt where it was known as the plague of the firstborn. And so the firstborn, both livestock and human beings of every basically family unit would die if, unless they were preserved by being a family that would sacrifice a lamb under the direction of God. And of course, he gave these directions specifically to his people, Israel. And so his people in Israel were commanded to have a lamb that they would bring in and they would, that lamb would be in their home and then they would sacrifice that lamb and they would apply the lamb basically to the, to the door frame of their home. And as the death angel passed, went over the nation of Israel or nation of Egypt and inflicted the plague of the firstborn on every, again, family unit, livestock and, and human beings that was there, he, that, that angel would pass over the homes where he saw the blood that was applied in the manner that God had instructed them to apply it, the, the blood of the lamb. So that meal that was observed that night was known as the Passover meal because it was commemorating the fact that, the de that death had passed over those who had sacrificed the lamb, namely the people of Israel, and that all those who hadn't had experienced that incredible tragedy at the hands of God's judgment. So that meal became one that was instituted and regularly practiced by Israel predominantly for, for a, a, on an annual basis. And so it was at this point in, in Jesus' life, at the, in the last night of his life, where the Passover meal was to be eaten. And as he was eating this Passover meal, what would happen is that basically there would, there would be this whole remembrance of what happened in, in Egypt in the nation, when, they, when the nation of Israel was preserved from that from the execution of all of those others. But in the same way, Jesus is now going to repackage that meal and, and, reinstu and, and institute a new tradition, a new commemoration, a new, new remembrance, and that's why we do what we do today. So Paul says first to the Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, meaning what we do here today when we observe Holy Communion, when we hold that piece of bread and that cup of juice in our hands, is something that is a directive from the Lord. 
Paul said, I received it from the Lord. I am now passing it on to you. It is a directive. It's a command. It's an imperative. That's why many churches like ours have this, this uh, have uh, named this, uh, idea, this uh, communion meal an ordinance. It's something that we regularly practice, not because we just think it's a good idea, but because we receive it, we believe it's something that we have received from God as a directive, as a command, as an imperative. And so it's something that we are committed to doing. And in fact, it's, a, it's part and parcel of our worship experiences. Again, on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, we participate in this because we believe it's something that the Lord has commanded, has directed us to do. This direction that he's given to us is a reminder. In two, two different occasions, and you saw it there near the beginning of the passage, Jesus said, we are to do this in remembrance of him. In remembrance of him. He says that about the bread. He also says that about the cup. And this word uh, remembrance is something, in, in Greek it's the, it's the word Adamnesis, and this word means to remember, but uh, more than just to kind of like intellectually connect with something, the idea of this remembrance was such that in remembering what God had done for them, that it was cause in the, in the heart of the person who was remembering, namely the death, and, uh, the death of Christ for sin, that in remembering that, in reflecting on that, in recollecting that, in being reminded of that work of Jesus, that it would cause them to embrace it at a very deep level and it would lead to, the, to change in their life. So it wasn't just about, oh yeah, I, I remember that happened. It was about connecting with it in a personal way so that it made a difference in people's lives. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And he says first that, that he used a piece of bread. Now, there's <clears throat> lots of, di no, I wouldn't say a lot. There's a few different kind of uh, teachings on what it is that actually happened in which piece of bread that was used and which cup that was used. And I don't want to speak too definitively on that because I wasn't there and uh, neither were you and no one else who has ever, <laughs> but we can kind of build off what we know about the Passover meal and what Jesus did and the way things kind of flowed. But it's been suggested that what happened here was kind of revolutionary because it was after the meal that Jesus took the bread. The Passover meal seemingly had ended, and so it was kind of almost revolutionary for very unusual that Jesus would give them something to eat after the meal had ended. And so some have suggested that what he had given them was something known as the afikomen, and that the afikomen became that which was the piece of bread. Now, we don't have the time to do a whole teaching on the afikomen, but if you look it up, you will find that it's a piece of bread that was hidden for later in the meal, something to be eaten after the meal, almost like a dessert bread, some, some people have called it. And so this afikomen, Jesus repurposed the afikomen by taking it out of its bag where it would have been hidden, and he would have said to the, to, and that, that's when he said to his followers, this is my body, which is for you. It no longer then symbolized the lamb the, the, the flesh of the, of the Passover lamb, but now Jesus is saying, this is my body which is given for you. So that would have been, again, revolutionary for them to hear this and very, alar uh, at, at, in one sense, alarming, but also very thought-provoking for them to hear him say, this is my body which is given for you because they understood the principle of the body of the lamb which had given, been given for them. He also says it about the cup. 
And about the cup, he says, in this cup is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so the third aspect of, of uh, this meal known as Holy Communion, it's a directive, it's a reminder, it's also remi- it gives us uh, a new covenant. Now, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And when he says that, he's referring to, again, most likely, the third of four cups that exist in the Passover meal. And that third cup was known as the cup of redemption or the cup of blessing. It represented the blood of the Passover lamb. And again, so in the same way that Jesus is saying, what the Passover lamb did for our people, I am doing now for you. What the blood of the lamb did for our people, I am doing for you. I have become the Passover lamb. I have become the one whose blood will be shed so that there will no longer be death, but there will be life. There is a new covenant and that covenant is cut in my blood. So this is something to be dramatically celebrated every time that we receive communion. Every time we receive communion, this is, again, it's a, it's a, it, and that's why God directed us to do it, I believe, because he wants us to have this, per, this continual reminder of the covenant exists that exists between him and us based on his work in our lives. And see, that's why this is so important for us to understand the, the principle of covenant because when God makes a covenant with someone and we receive by faith the terms of that covenant, that the covenant is cut in the blood of Jesus, that it is his sacrifice, that means when we receive that by faith, that is established as fact. We are new people. We are new creations. We are his children. We are a holy nation. We are a royal, royal priesthood. God gives us a new identity in the covenant that comes with the blood of Jesus, and that cannot be changed. We receive that by, it's not our performance. It's not our moral, it's not our good moral behavior. It's not our prayers. It's not our Bible study. It's not our service. It's we receive simply, but are all those things important? Yes. But the way in which we, the covenant is established is by the grace of God giving us the person of Jesus Christ, his shed blood, and by faith when we receive that, we are part of the covenant and it is God's job to keep the covenant. He keeps the covenant by establishing in us a new identity in Christ Jesus. So when we do this, what are we doing? Every time that we receive communion, we're declaring something. We're making a proclamation. We're making a declaration. Our verse says it this way in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Why do we do that? Because it's all about his body, his blood, and the covenant that God has established with us in that. So we're proclaiming it every time when we're holding that cup, when we're, when, when we're holding that piece of bread, we are proclaiming the gospel. Every, we hold in our hands the uh, very, very tangible, symbolic reminders of the truth of the gospel in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But not only are we proclaiming something, not only are we declaring something, but we're also anticipating something even greater Look at what that that scripture reminds us. And and again, it helps us. We look back toward the death of Christ. So every time we eat this bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. So when we receive communion, it's also a reminder for us as we hold that, again, that piece of bread in our hands and we eat it. As we hold that cup of juice in our hands and we drink it. Yes, are we remembering and proclaiming the Lord's death and our faith in that? 
Absolutely. But we're also anticipating the fact when the full reality of our salvation will take place. Jesus is coming again, the Bible teaches. This is not the end. We are passers-by. We are living in this strange world as aliens. This is not our home. This is not where we have permanent roots. This is not the place of our permanent existence. There is a place that we will someday be where there is no more crying, where there is no more tears, where there, are no, there is no more sickness, where there is no more death or conflict or strife or, or racism or ageism or genderism or anything else like that. There will be a, a time and a place when our salvation will be consummated and we will be full members of the glorious kingdom of God. We are anticipating that. So when we hold that in our hands, it's a celebration. We're drinking and we're eating and we're looking back to his death and we're looking forward to his second coming. And that won't be a, come, a, a coming where he will come and die, but he's coming to reign. He's coming to receive. He's coming to restore. And he's coming to establish his kingdom. That's what we're anticipating. That's why we live as people with hope and joy and peace. Because we look back and he's, when we remember he's given us a new, new identity and we look forward to the fact when its full realization will occur. What a glorious reminder this little piece of bread and cup of juice is. A declaration and an anticipation. Communion is also about unity. In fact, the word itself from which we get our English word communion is based on the word koinonia. Uh, you've heard me teach about koinonia on multiple occasions. It's the idea of fellowship or association. It's, it's a, a deep level of intimacy and a joint participation. It's, again, it's, it's what's translated into uh, fellowship or communion in our English Bibles. And so communion is a reminder that we are one in Christ Jesus. We look around and we see people of different ages and genders and ethnicities. We see people of different backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses. We see people who have, who have a lot of degrees and maybe people who have no degrees. We see all different kinds of people and we are reminded that in the body and blood of Christ Jesus, we are one. So communion is a wonderful reminder of the unity that we would have. And this is a, one of the things that specifically the Corinthians didn't have. And Paul called them out for it. Earlier in that passage that I read, in verse 18, or verse 17 actually, beginning in verse 17, Paul says to the Corinthians, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you do, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Now we know from Jesus that it's not the outward act that corrupts, right? Jesus says things like, you have heard it said that it's wrong to commit adultery, right? 
He goes on to say, but I say to you, if any of you looks at another person's spouse with lust in their heart, well, they've already committed the sin, right? That's the heart of it. And so we have to, when we hear those verses and we say, well, we're not, we're not divided. We're not, you know, we're not taking the meal at different times. We're not doing what we want. We're not sitting here getting drunk while somebody else is not even here at church yet. We're not doing any of those things. But remember, it's all about the matter of the heart, right? And so we don't want to have uh, disunity, discord, divisions in our body. We want to be reminded. And so every time we take communion, it's a great reminder for us to ask ourselves, you know, am I experiencing unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there one here today where, that I'm struggling with? Is there someone from whom I need to seek, you know, forgiveness or maybe offer it? Unity is an important part of observing communion. Celebrating it, recognizing it, facilitating it, fostering it. Unity is so important. It's also a word of caution here from Paul. He says in verse 27, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. In fact, he, I think this is really kind of a, a follow-up to what he had said to the Corinthians when he talked about how they had, were not experiencing unity and they had those divisions in their church. And so it is, it is important and, and for us to take time then, and that's the very next thing that he says, to do some self-analysis. He says, let a person examine himself, and in this way let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. So when we practice communion, it's not something that we do flippantly. It's not something that we do without thought of where we're at in our spiritual journey, but it's something where we take, we take, um, we take caution to not do it in a manner that's an unworthy manner where we're, perhaps we're harboring bitterness against someone else, where we're actively engaged in practicing uh, some, some sin that, that where, where we know it's something that we, we're engaged in on a regular basis and we're actively pursuing it. But instead, we, t- we take time when we observe communion to examine ourselves and to see and to, co- and to come to God in repentance, to come to God in recommitment, to come to God in rededication. Because we, we Paul finishes to, to say, for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing that in the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We don't want to eat and drink judgment on ourselves. So we want to examine ourselves. We want to offer ourselves up to the Lord. Oh, does, does that mean that we have to be perfect before we can receive communion? Absolutely not. But instead, we have to be real with God. We have to be honest with God. We have to be honest with ourselves. And that's what's important for us to do whenever we receive communion, is to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things in us that we might need, you know, be falling, ways in which we might be falling short, or way, ways in which we might not be surrendering our full lives over to God on, a re, on an everyday basis. It's a great way, and that's why it's one of those rhythmic reminders for us. That's why it is a directive from the Lord. That, that's why we do practice it on a regular basis, because it gives us, at least maybe on a monthly basis, an opportunity to do that. Not that we should only be doing self-analysis, self-examination, some, some spiritual introspection. We shouldn't only be doing that on a, a 12 times a year when we receive communion at the public service of Calvary Baptist Church. But this at least does give us that opportunity to facilitate that idea of the self-examination, the self-analysis. 
And, if, and as we do that, Paul says, then if we do, we won't be eating and drinking a judgment on ourselves. And in fact, it goes as far as to say in, in our last verse that that's why some in the Corinthian church are sick and ill. And in fact, some have fallen asleep. Not that they got bored at church and went to, and took a nap, but Paul's saying they died. Some of them drank, you know, ate and drank judgment on themselves to the degree that they died. And so is that meant as some sort of scare tactic? Absolutely not. I'm just sharing exactly what Paul was inspired by God to share with the Corinthians. But it does, I believe, uh, illustrate the, the importance of us and analyzing ourselves as we take communion. So what is this meal? This meal is one that we take because we believe it's been directed to be taken by Jesus himself. It's a reminder to us of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that blood being the new covenant that is cut between God and humanity that we might have life in him. It's both at the same time a declaration of what has occurred in his death and an anticipation of what will be when he comes in his second coming. It should foster and remind us of the importance of unity. We should enter into communion with a cautious uh, view knowing that we don't want to eat and drink judgment on ourselves, so we do some self-analysis. We are honest with God about where we're at in our spiritual journey, and we come to him in, in repentance and faith so that we can receive communion today and every time we receive it with joy and thanksgiving because it is something to be joyful and thankful for because it's, 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 a, it's a very tangible, physical regular reminder of the incredible gift of salvation that is in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. So today, we're gonna to receive communion. Our servers are gonna go ahead and, and prepare to, to serve you. Remember that here at Calvary, we receive communion in an open manner, meaning that you don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church, but if you have received Jesus Christ as your savior, then communion is here and available for you to receive in this regular reminder of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So there's a plate will pass in front of you. You can take a, a cup of juice, take a piece of bread, hold on to both of those then. I'll come back up after everyone's been served and we'll eat and drink together as the family of God with these reminders of the body and blood of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of Holy Communion. We thank you that you established it as something that we would do on a regular basis. And it's something that, Lord, I believe will, it, provides, it can provide for us great spiritual value and so today, I pray that as each of us consider this, uh, this meal and the significance of it, that we would take just some time today, maybe it's the first time this week, to really just hear from you. Reveal to us, Lord, those things which are in us, which are not aligned with your heart. By the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal those to us. Aligned with the truth of your word, reveal, it, re reveal those to us. Give us the humility, Lord, to repent and admit where we're falling short and turn from those things and embrace your grace through faith. 
And may we, Lord, as we partake in just a few minutes, may we do so with incredible thankfulness, gratitude for the death and resurrection of your son, as well as great joy in anticipating his eventual return. It's in his name we pray. Amen.